Heterodorks! Heterodox dorks! Hello, turfs and trannies. You are listening to Heterodorks. I am your co host, Nina Paley, a canceled artist. I am your other co host, Corinna Cohn, a transsexual who is dismantling gender care for children, which is great, right, Nina? Yeah, you're succeeding. You just succeeded in Ohio. Good job. Well, you're on the path. You're on the path to succeeding in Ohio. We are on the peace path. (laughs) Because we are dealing with deep topics in a lighthearted way. That's right. Deep topics, lighthearted. I got to complain. We have a guest this week, but I got to complain to you really quick, Nina. I, for the second time in my life, was able to get my name in the Washington Post. But the first time it was an op-ed uh, this time, it was a uh, hagiography of our old friend, Carrie Callahan, a detransitioner who did a talk with us in Urbana four years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, she just portrayed me as a mustache twirling villain in this piece, cackling and high-fiving this uh, conservative Republican as we strip away all types of health care for the for the poor, gender-confused children of Ohio and condemn them to uh, no other path but eventual and, and inevitable suicide. This was in the news section of the Washington Post, and their reporter never reached out to me to ask me anything about my, my side. So I just wanted to complain for just one second before we get into the meat of this episode, because I haven't had a chance to really rant about that on record yet. Yeah, well, I'm appalled by it too, and Lisa Sellen Davis was appalled by it. And many people who saw it are appalled by it. And I have no idea if there's any remedy possible, but it was appalling. Do you remember the, those beautiful, good old days of, of innocence and, and happiness and lightheartedness when we could believe the media? No. Oh, well, let's, (laughs) let's bring in our guest heterodork today. He is the very recently retired Gary Francione. 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 Come on, Nina. (laughs) Welcome, Gary. (laughs) Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be with the two of you. So Gary has recently waded in to the gender, I guess the gender wars on Twitter. Welcome to the gender wars. When did you wander in? Well, the, the issue I've spent most of my adult life dealing with is animal rights and veganism. And a few years ago, some animal people asked me what my view was on this issue. And I didn't really understand the issue very well because, I mean, I was sort of thinking, lived for a long time in the West Village. Oh, I did too. And, okay, we lived on Greenwich Street and right near Christopher. And- um, yeah, okay. And so I knew that, I mean, there was a, a transsexual community. Uh, I never understood. I mean, I didn't know the word transgender back then, but they were a transsexual community. The transsexuals I knew were very pleasant people. There was never hostility. And there seemed to be, I mean, I, the, the transsexuals I knew, and I'm, I can't generalize, but the transsexuals I knew did not think of themselves as a different sex from the one that they were born. I mean, they, and I remember, actually, I, I have a, a scar on my hand, you can probably see it, uh, from when I was on a New York City subway. 
there were some kids bothering a transsexual person. I asked them to stop and it escalated. And uh, they went to touch this, I guess, to grab a wig or whatever. And I stopped I grabbed the kid's hand and the kid had a Phillips screwdriver. <laughs> jammed, he jammed it into my hand. And it never occurred to me that perhaps the person I was trying to help would think that I was a bigot because if that person later interviewed me and said, you know, um, I identify as a woman, even though I'm a, a transsexual male, that sort of thing didn't occur to me at that time. And so so when I was asked about this issue a few years back by people in the animal rights community, I said, well, this isn't a big issue. I mean, we're talking about a relatively small number of people. And I was thinking of the transsexuals I knew. And, and I couldn't understand why anybody would be upset with them or think that they were a, a nefarious group of people. But I wasn't really sort of aware of this transgender thing. And so as time went on, you know, over a couple of years, I kept on having people say to me, you did say that, you know, that we shouldn't be TERFs, but I was learning more about the issue. And so I decided last summer, quite innocently, that I needed to write an essay in which I said I spoke to the animal community about about this issue that, I, that you know, that I had learned more about it and that I thought I that I was wrong. I thought we were talking about transsexuals. I didn't realize we we're talking about guys with beards and, you know, whatever, and just identifying as women and going into toilets and changing rooms and stuff like that. And so I wrote this essay, which I put on my website, abolitionistapproach.com, which is the website in which I, I talk about issues of animal rights and nonviolence and veganism. It got about 20,000 downloads in a couple of days, and it's going to be, a ver I've worked on it, and a, a new version of it is going to be published by the Philosopher's Magazine. And then it just started. I mean, it, it exploded. I was shocked by the level of, I mean, I've been doing the animal work for a long time. I've been dealing with farmers. I've been dealing with vivisectors. I've been dealing with people who are really hostile to my position. I've never dealt with people with this level of anger. I've never seen anything like this before, ever, 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 ever. So that's how I got into it. And then I had to make it. Well, I mean, in certain ways, the decision was made because once the essay was out there and it started getting discussion, then there really wasn't much to do except to either participate in it or not participate. And I thought about it and I thought, you know, this is really a serious issue because I take feminism seriously, or at least I try to. And I was a tenured professor at the University of Pennsylvania. So I was an Ivy League tenured person. And I resigned my tenure over the failure to tenure a woman named Drusilla Cornell, who was a feminist theorist. And I thought it was sexist and I thought it was outrageous. And I said, I can't object about it. And then when this person doesn't get tenure, I, I sort of continue on in my tenured position at Penn. I left, I went to Rutgers and I've always tried to take feminism seriously. I saw this issue as being the most important issue probably since suffrage in terms of this is a movement which is trying to erase women as a sexual category. It's it's troubling. And and so I thought, well, what the hell? I, I'm going to get involved yeah. with could, it. And, could, could, um, I, could I ask you just really quickly? Because I, I, you're, you're making yeah. a point that I, I just nodded my head with and some of our listeners can't see that. But I, I wanted to ask you to elaborate. What do, what do you mean by that, that they want to eliminate sex as a category? Because I have an idea of what it means, well, but what does that mean to you? 
if you say that woman is a feeling that anybody is a feeling that anybody can have and that no one's feeling of woman is any different from any other feeling of woman, including those who have, who are women Mm -hmm. biologically, then you've you've erased the category of women in terms of sex. That, That doesn't matter anymore. And that strikes me as being so profoundly disturbing and, and have a potential for such tremendous mischief. And, and, you know, there were things when I first got involved with this that I didn't really understand and that sort of continued to confirm, for example, the idea that lesbians are supposed to entertain, you know, supposed to have men, men who identify as women who identify as lesbian mm-hmm. at, at their events. And that in fact, if they are not attracted to them, they are, accused of having a gender fetish or whatever, a genital fetish fetish or whatever. Um, It's sort of hard to wrap your head around that. It it is for me, at least. I can't understand how this is even serious and it's profound, but it is serious and it's having profound effects on people. I mean, you have that woman in Australia, Sal Grover, who is actually having to litigate whether she can have an app that men can't participate in. You know, I think though you're you're pretty politically left, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> very, very much, much so. <laughs> so. So I think on the political left, the contention isn't that woman is a feeling; that rather it's a a set of performances or a collection of performances which are are relational. That other people perceive you as a woman and you behave as a woman, and therefore, for all intents and purposes, for all practical purposes, aside from carrying a pregnancy uh, or driving a car you are you are a woman <laughs> yeah well we could have a whole discussion about the left and women because um the left ha- has always had a always could have done better when it came to women starting back when i was a kid we were all hippies back then, right? And and in the whole free love movement, it was great if you were a guy. <laughs> you know, it was terrific if you were if you were a man. It wasn't terrific. It, you know, it was exploitative if you were a woman. And yet, everybody thought they were being open. And you have know, you read women. Andrea Dworkin's oh, sure. essay on that? Yeah, I, I knew Andrea Dworkin not wow. well, not well, but I knew Andrea Dworkin. I was so happy to see Julie Bindle's essay about you know the 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 transing of Andrea Dworkin and how Stoltenberg and other other people have portrayed because I I actually was very upset by that because I was upset because I, I thought Andrea Dworkin was a very um uh interesting person and you, you there was no way you could avoid sort of knowing you were in her presence because she was a real present a real character and a, a force and I was shocked to, to, cause I thought I had read Stoltenberg and I'd read some other people who, who connected her, who supported her, who said she supported the, the trans movement. Uh, it was an early, early supporter of it. And I'm glad to see Julie saying, you know, Julie's essay saying, no, that's wrong. And that what she said was taking, you know, was said at a time in which these issues really weren't. And that makes a lot of sense that, you know, whatever she said was said at a time 
where the issues were very different and were not what they are now. But I do, I am very disappointed because I've had a lot of arguments. I've lost a lot of my friends on the left and, and uh, who are very, very, I, I, I got an email today from somebody who was uh, very upset with me and, and said, you're into nonviolence. How can you be into nonviolence and yet take the position you're taking? I said, I am taking the position I'm taking because I'm into nonviolence. I think the position that woman is a feeling and that women have no rights to private or intimate spaces or that they the thing which is happening in sports or or the business with children or the business with prisons. I mean, I think there are tremendous violence implications there. As I say, nonviolence is a big, big part of my life. And that's why, I mean, I haven't eaten a piece of meat or dairy in over four decades because, not because I did it for my health. I didn't do it. My initial, I mean, I think it's my decision to go vegan was the probably the best thing I could have done for my health, but I didn't do it for my health. I did it because I was opposed to violence and I don't draw species lines and I just don't want to participate in violence. I'm all in favor uh, in my essay. Um, and I've actually sort of developed this idea more in the, the essay that's going to be coming out in the philosopher's magazine. I'm all in favor of saying people ought to have equality, right? Let, let, let people look the way they want to look and, and live the way they want to live. I'm, I'm happy with that. I'm fine with that. I don't think people should be discriminated against. But I draw the line between, I say, you know, you have equality claims in terms of treatment, not having issues of employment or education or housing. You should not suffer a harm because you are a person who identifies as trans. On the other hand, you cannot force other people to believe what I call trans-belief claims, these metaphysical claims, which are very, very similar to sort of religious claims. You cannot force people to believe those things and accept them as true and force them to speak as though they are true. You just can't do that. You shouldn't, but you can. Well, right. You you can't do it consistent with a liberal pluralistic society. I mean, if you right. want to have, I'm a big believer that that's the sort of society we ought to live in. You ought to live your life and I ought to live my life. And as long as we don't harm each other, I don't want you telling me how to live and I'm not going to tell you how to live. I still think John Stuart Mill had a lot of really good ideas. And, and so I, I believe that. Part of that is you can't dictate to people. On the other hand, you, you can't say, that, well, you've got to speak this way, or you've got to think this way, or you've got to act this way, or you can't stop me from coming into the toilet or whatever. So I noticed on Twitter that you have already found yourself in the great, the great rift, the great shakedown of the gender critical side. And I noticed that you you did seem to be taking a very liberal or classical liberal i don't know yeah. liberal position that i was well, not, also taking not neoliberal not neoliberal not neoliberal like, yeah that's, that's but cool. but you know you've you've the whole thing about the stupid blue dress right like men in dresses and that has created this huge rift but yeah i noticed that you were not that long in the gender wars but taking a pretty strong position that yeah men can wear dresses well, you know, look, I actually hit that hit that uh, wall shortly after I got involved in the late summer because, as I say, I wrote the essay and boom, all of a sudden I'm in the middle of it, and I was not aware because I didn't really understand the I didn't understand very much about the movement. I was just starting to collect books and read them and you know and whatnot and see what the various positions were, but right off the bat, shortly after I got involved. 
uh, somebody said, well, you know, but you don't think that we should be forced to work with these people, do you? Just in the work camps, though. <laughs> Just in the work exactly. camps. Exactly. And, and, you don't have to. You don't have to share the same bunks, right? So, right. so uh, exactly. And, right. and you know, it was interesting because I responded. I didn't yet also understand. Um, the and norms, it's all the same showers. The, the norms about the norms about language. Um, and that I responded to this to a particular person by saying, "Yeah, indeed, I think." We do have to work along with side with them. And if you say we don't, that is transphobic. And I thought I was going to get shot at dawn. It was uh, people got very, very upset with me. I, look, I think the only way this is going to get resolved is along the lines of sort of a liberal approach. And in other words, saying if people want to live this way, I mean, you can't tell people that they can't live how they want to live or look how they want to look. Obviously, you have to have norms in a workplace in terms of responsible. And, you know, I mean, everyone has to, to dress in accordance with, with the business that's going on there. You can't have people wearing crazy things, male, female, whatever, whoever. And I've added a section to my essay called An Illiberal Approach, <laughs> in which I discuss this. It concerns me because I think the way the way this can get resolved is if we can have social consensus around the idea that equality claims will be respected, but belief claims will not. If you basically say, well, equality claims aren't going to be respected, you've just handed the left <laughs> a tremendous weapon to basically dismiss you and to dismiss your position um, because it is so illiberal and intolerant. Hmm. And I think that's, a, I think strategically, I think that's a that's a terrible situation. I've been thinking a lot about this recently because the most recent thing that the most recent uh, uh, set of exchanges I had, which you know, I I was being told, well, you know, my position had to be dismissed because I was a man, and I was mansplaining, and you know, that's a troubling sort of concept because. If you say, if you reject the transposition, transposition takes a sort of postmodern standpoint epistemology of it's my lived experience. So you can't tell me if I, if my lived experience is as a woman, then, you know, it doesn't matter whether I have penis, that's my lived experience. Well, if you're going to say that standpoint epistemology, you're going to reject that. Fine. But you can't then say, I have a special access to knowledge that, that the whole mansplaining thing sort of takes a, is a sort of a standpoint epistemology thing is that, that is that, you know, only women can make certain judgments, which strikes me as being sort of, how do you. Yeah. So, so to, just to respond to that, I think some of the women in this movement think the whole movement should be feminist. Like the, the outspoken critics, the, the most sane analysis of or sane critique of transgender ideology came from radical feminists like right. a while ago, many years ago. And some of the women of that movement think that therefore this whole thing should be feminist or they expect these things to be feminist. The women who were complaining about uh, Phil Illy and his dress at Genspect, yeah. they, they were like, why was this man there in a dress? And it's like, well, it's not, it wasn't a feminist event. It was a event about gender. It was just a mixed sex, everybody event. And they, I just see them sometimes expecting, expecting all events to have the same restrictions 
and boundaries as feminist events, and all events are not feminist events. Feminist events well, are feminist well, events. All events are not feminist events. And and is it is it a, does everything does all feminism have to sort of be that sort of have that sort of approach? But there's also this other element is that even if I can say something and then somebody says, well, you know, you're just a man, go away. But if a woman is saying the same thing, they just ignore her. <laughs> so they don't engage her and they just tell me to shut up. Mm. I've been a male long enough to understand we are problematic in all sorts of ways. And we we have been less than helpful to women <laughs> over the centuries. I really do. I do understand the reaction, but I also think that there are moral issues and they're, they're complex. And, and so you have these peculiar things like, I mean, I was discussing this very issue with Holly Lawford-Smith when she was in Princeton back in October. I went and we hung out for a while. And we were talking about how peculiar it is that feminine stereotypes about dressing and stuff are all norms, patriarchal norms. And the, the idea that feminists are sort of expressing proprietary interest in these things, it's like, why? <laughs> why? Why do you want to do that? Wouldn't it be great if we just like sort of got rid of all that shit? But, um, but you know, why don't we get rid of all of it? Because it's just nonsense. The problem is not whether some guy is wearing a dress. The problem is the guy is demanding that you recognize him as a woman, and that society recognizes him as a woman and that he have the prerogatives of women in terms of their private spaces and their sports. And that's the problem. The problem is not that he's wearing a dress. Also, how do you, how do you, what are your limiting, what are your limiting principles? You know, how do you draw lines? How do you? Yeah. Well, these, none of the I know there's people listening to this and going, it's not about the dress. It's not about the dress. It's about the performance of a sexual fetish in the public space. And in addition to that, causing people to become unwilling and unwitting participants in that fetish. That's that's the argument that they make. It's uh, not, Now, just to be clear, that's not my argument. I have yeah. a different viewpoint on it, but I wanted to bring that up because I know some people will want to hear that addressed. Well, I mean, look, I understand that even though I am not a woman, a minor amount of empathy can sort of help you to understand why that upsets people. But the problem is, is in a liberal pluralistic society, can we police fetishes? You know, people do all sorts of stuff in which they invest sexual energy. They have all sorts of behaviors that they engage in that turn them on and that um, that when they do these things may turn other people on, whether it's, you know, wearing shoes of a different sort or or some sort of dressing. You can't police fetishes, um, I don't think. And, and you certainly can't do it neatly. And I don't think you can do it consistent with a, a liberal pluralistic society. I think what some of this is, is, is the idea that, well, women or these, these people, these, these men who are doing this are mocking women. I suspect some of them are, but we live in a society in which yeah. people do things which piss us off. Look, I am a vegan. I live in a world with people who are not vegan. I shop in stores that aren't vegan. I'm constantly offended. <laughs> you want, to, want me to be real honest with you? My whole life is like sort of like, you know, moment to moment offense. But like, that's what it is. And the only way I can deal with that 
is by trying to talk to people and say, look, do you love your dog? Yes, I love my dog. Well, what's the difference between the dog you love and the, you know, the chicken you stick a fork into? And let's talk about that. It is, it's persuasion and, and sort of trying to talk to people and get them to see a different reality and maybe shift mm-hmm. the paradigm. But that's all you can do. You can't force people. I can't force people to become vegan. I can't spend my life screaming at them if they're not vegan. All I can do is try to talk with people and sort of get them to see a different perspective. And and um, so, you know, yeah, I mean, I understand that that a lot of things that men do are vexing to women in all sorts of ways. I understand that. I really do. And that that the the trans thing is vexing in a particular way because people think, well, this is a performance of a fetish. It's a mockery. It's this, it's that. It may be all those things. It may be all those things. But that's what a liberal pluralistic society is. I mean, I have to say, I think that if we got to a point where we rejected trans belief claims and we didn't have these arguments about, you know, whether these people can use toilets or shower rooms or, you know, being, you know, whatever, if that stuff all, all went away. I think think this behavior would dramatically. I mean, one one of the problems is is that guys, men are given incentives. This whole movement is giving men incentives to perform to behave exactly in this way. And I'm going to jump in for a second here yeah. because you, first of all, you're completely correct. Second of all, Nina and I agree with you at least ninety eight point seven percent. So okay. Uh, Third, third of all, we we're really interested not just in the in the topic and and the, these things that we agree on philosophically, but sort of how you evolved to the point that you are. And and I, I cut you off earlier, and that was that was uh, bad on me. But I'm going to try to get us back a little bit closer to where we were, because at, you said uh, at some point you had uh, maybe encountered this term turf. And maybe you had become aware of that there was this transphobic movement that was starting to brew and you didn't understand how people could be uh, intolerant or hateful towards these trans people like the ones that you knew uh, in, in New York. And then you uh, started to look into this a little bit more. So so let's take us back maybe two or three years. Uh, when did you first hear this term turf? I heard this term turf when some people came to my my Facebook page mm. and started talking about turfs. I didn't know, I didn't, you know, they explained what a turf was. And again, I was perceiving this as I was thinking about the transsexuals I knew in Manhattan. And I was mm. thinking, well, what's the problem? <laughs> Why would anybody be upset with them? So that's when I first heard the term and people were angry with me and said, well, you know, this is sexist. This is misogynistic. You know, look, I understand it's complex, but I, mm. I don't understand the hostility because, again, I was thinking of the transsexuals I knew. Wait, so you you were calling people turfs. You were referring to women as turfs. Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. There are there are occasionally someone on my on my Twitter feed. Well, I didn't take them down because I, you know, you know what? That just looks like you're trying to hide something, and I'm not trying to mm-hmm. hide it. I was wrong. I, you know, I was wrong. I admit I was wrong. I was wrong. I was wrong. I was very wrong. So occasionally someone will pull a Facebook thing from some years ago saying, you know, you said this and I always say the same thing. Yep. And I was wrong. <laughs> I was wrong. I did say those things and I was wrong. The way that you you found this term, it was maybe the this person that you're imagining was like this Anita Bryant type of character who is like campaigning against the particular rights. And yes. 
uh, yes. opportunities for people to engage in society and like this this real stereotype of yeah. somebody who was uh, actively campaigning for intolerance. Yeah, and 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 you know, um, and I, I I I was outsourcing, and this was wrong, and I, and this is it was a good lesson for me to learn. I was outsourcing my thinking to the left. My left friends at the time were very strongly in favor of of this. You thought turfs were evil people, and they're my friends, and they're you know mm-hmm. they're good they're good solid lefties, and they're people I otherwise trust. And they thought this was a really problem. Now, now a number of those people aren't speaking to me anymore. Uh, a number of those, and I'm sad about that on one level because I was fond of those people, but. I believe they were wrong. I, I tried to persuade them that they were wrong. They're just not going to listen. You're an apostate. Yeah. It's such a religious aspect of it. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I, I, I see this as sort of a real rational sort of thing. It's like, well, wait a minute now. How is this position, how is this transposition any different from a religious position? And the answer is it's not really. I mean, it, it, these are metaphysical beliefs. They're not verifiable. They're not false, false. Above. I mean, I'm happy for you to have them or, you know, anybody else wants to have whatever beliefs you want to have. I don't care. You know, be a believe in God, don't believe in God, doesn't matter to me. But the idea that, for example, some sense of sex, which which may be called gender identity or whatever you want to call it, that that it trumps your biological sex, that's a metaphysical idea. Yeah. Um, you know, you there's no getting around that. <laughs> there's no getting around that. You want to believe it? God bless you. Believe it. I don't care. It's fine with me. Um, but don't tell me I've got to believe it. What I'm finding when I discuss this with people in this way, they all, you know, people, people say, you know, yeah, I can, this gives me a good framework to think about it because I don't want to be hostile to these people. If they wish to live this way, I don't want to tell them they can't live or to, I don't, I don't want, I don't want discrimination against them. On the other hand, I don't want them telling me how I have to live. And I think that it's a good sort of balance. And and that's one of the reasons why I, I have a problem with the illiberal approach, because I think it sort of really hands an unfortunate argument to the, the, the lefty. I mean, the idea that this is a left idea, the idea that misogyny <laughs> and the welfare of children are, are being, you know, or, or threats to the welfare of children are being pushed by the left is also another surreal sort of thing. But well, speaking of behavior that we would not expect from what we thought was our tribe. Yeah. Why do you think vegans are sort of extra crazy when it comes to gender stuff? I mean, I, I know some of my, some of my favorite sane people are vegans, yeah. MK Fane and Alex yeah. Gleason. I don't know if you know who they are, but yeah. Um, yeah. They, they started spinster.xyz. Uh, yeah. And they've lost a lot of friends. Their community's been beyond decimated by this stupid stuff. Nonetheless, in spite of exceptions, it really does seem like the vegans are kind of extra crazy on this subject. It's a great question, and it's something I think a lot about because that movement is very important to me. The first time I was canceled was shortly after I got involved with this. I was supposed to speak at a rally in London, and I was canceled because a number of the young people said that they didn't feel safe. And I said, what does that mean? (laughs) What do you think I'm going to do? Um, That they didn't feel safe. And I think part of it has to do with... When you start thinking about the animal issue, 
it requires that you sort of expand your concept of personhood, whether you think about it in this way or not. But in essence, you're, what you're doing is you're extending your concept of personhood and you sort of have a very expansive idea of what a person is and basic rights of, of survival and not suffering and, and whatnot. And you, you focus a lot on that. And then that sort of leads to the idea that, well, you've got to basically sort of embrace the rights of everybody. Un but the problem is, is that that's not in theory, a bad way of thinking. The problem is you have to embrace the rights of everybody in a coherent, <laughs> rational way. That makes sense. That's the, that's the caveat. And what's happened in the, amongst vegans over the past, say, 15 years, there was a, a professor at UCLA named Kim Crenshaw. And she introduced this concept of intersectionality. Intersectionality basically meant that a woman who was a, a black lesbian would be discriminated against because she was black, because she was woman, and because she was a lesbian. So she would have this, there would be the, these intersectional forms of discrimination. The word intersectional got taken over in the, by the animal community in terms of meaning that, well, we have to respect the rights of everyone, which is fine with me. I've been saying that since I yeah. got involved with this issue in the 1980s. I can see the animal kingdom taking over intersectionality because that would explain a platypus. <laughs> there, you, there, you, there you go. There you go. I think the um, platypus is very appropriative. And I mean, the platypus should think about the ducks that it might be offending, mocking them. Exactly, exactly. Performing, performing a, a fetish. But um, a lot of the vegans sort of have now just gravitated rather uncritically to this idea that, well, we have to embrace any rights claim. And so therefore, the rights claims which are being asserted by trans people, they have to be accepted. But that in certain ways reflects what's going on. And that, you know, like, you know, with a lot of young people, I mean, I was in higher education for 40 years of my life. And at the, in that time, I watched higher education has changed dramatically. And are, we are, are, are students getting stupider? Um, I certainly You're retired be, now. You uh, you, no, I, I mean, I mean, no, I, but I mean, I'm still, I still have connections. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm still, I still have connections with some universities and we'll, I will continue oh, I to see, teach. I, see. I will continue to teach. I just am not going to be a full-time law professor anymore. And I see. Um, so you can, you can tell us in a couple of years. No, I want to say something. I, I want to, I'm happy to say something now. I mean, I don't want to, I think it's not that they're getting stupid. I think we're doing them a very great disservice hmm. by teaching them or reinforcing the idea that ideas can harm them. That disagreement is a, an occasion for trauma. I think that is a very bad thing to teach young people. The generation of young people now will face challenges that my generation never faced with the environmental problems that are clearly developing, economic instability, political instability, the, the rise of very serious right-wing movements in Europe and in the United States. I think people are going to be have to be courageous and deal with a lot of very d dangerous situations. And I don't see this. I don't see us teaching young people how to do that. You cannot say, look, I disagree with you. I need a safe space. I think that is nonsense. I think that's counterproductive. I think that is harmful to young people. 
what is happening is we're no longer teaching young people how to deal with ideas they don't like and how to argue against them. Because what we're doing is we're condemning them to live in what Susan Nyman calls in the in her book, The Left Is Not Woke. She talks about the forest of trauma. That's what we're encouraging them to do. Live in the forest of trauma. Dwell in the forest in the forest of trauma. Find everything that you don't like to be a source of trauma uh, for you and, and seek a safe space. I mean, look at what happened to Kathleen Stock at Oxford. I was at the Oxford Literary Festival. I was speaking there and and actually met Jordan Peterson while I was there, who is also, as you know, into this issue. Uh, and and um, I spoke at the Oxford Union on, on the issue of vivisection back in 1991 or 1990, a long time ago. Oxford is one of the world's great universities. It's a it's a place where people have been debating ideas for a long time. And it was sad for me to see Oxford basically respond by, you know, it's like they were frightened of Kathleen Stock. I mean, if you don't agree with, first of all, people didn't even have to go to the thing. It was done by the union. It, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't part of it, the educational program that anybody had to attend. It's done by the union. And so if you didn't want to go, you don't go. But the idea that her presence there was, was something that was, was dangerous to people I say to my colleagues who are in education, if you think you're doing young people a favor <laughs> by encouraging them to think that way, that, you know, that they should be frightened of Kathleen Stock rather no. than engage her, engage her. You disagree with her, engage her respectfully. Talk to her. Don't be frightened of her. Okay. I have noticed you using some language that is very succinct and I like it, but I'd like you to talk about it a little bit. You've said equality claims, belief claims, and rights claims. And yeah. when you say that, it's like, I basically understand what you mean. And I'm like, oh, that's a that's a neat way to put it. Can you talk about that? Like, I, yeah, I haven't sure. heard other people put it that way. Sure. I make a distinction between equality claims and belief claims. Let's take it out of the trans context because, and I'll explain it using an example, a non-trans example. Somebody who has religious beliefs. Let's assume you've got someone who is a Christian and the person, you know, person's very serious about Christianity. All right. Well, that person has equality claims, wants to be treated equally with other people. So therefore, that person's Christianity ought not to be the occasion of discriminating against that person in terms of employment, in terms of, of, of education, in terms of housing. So we should, you know, it's wrong. Whether it's illegal, depending on the place, whether it's legal or not, I'm not talking about whether it's legal. I'm talking about whether it's morally acceptable. Take a situation where someone's really good at his or her job and... I get what these mean. Like, I, I get it. It's just I haven't heard them phrased this way. You just say, like, oh, equality claims, belief claims, rights claims. Where does that language come from? It's It seems useful, but I haven't I haven't been using it myself. Is that like well, from law? My guess is, is that... my guess. No, no, no. My well, I mean, you know, I'm a law professor. I mean, I think in those terms, but yeah. You know, my guess is you're using those ideas. Yeah, sure. No, um, I am. I am. Yeah, I mean, I just use the, I use the express. I, I just say, look, in terms of equal treatment, the fact that you're a Christian shouldn't matter. In terms of equal treatment, the fact that you identify as trans shouldn't matter. But you also have beliefs, and. Is it acceptable for you to demand that other people 
accept your beliefs as literally true. As a Christian, you have equality claims to be treated equally, and you have belief claims that other people agree with you. We see this, uh, you know, right now in, in the United States, you have a certain segment of Christians who not only don't want to be treated unequally, but want other people to accept their belief claims. And that sort of intersects with the issue. I mean, I think this really comes to a, a, a very interesting point when we talk about abortion, because when you are talking about regulating abortion, and there are many people who don't want any abortion, even the moment that you have a blastula, the moment the, the, the sperm inseminates the egg, then that's it. They don't want anything. It's hard for me to understand that, except as an expression of insolment. I mean, I understand why if you are why, if you have certain religious beliefs, why that upsets you. But the point is, is that you should not force other people to accept those those claims. And, and so in a sense, that's what you're doing when you're saying, I don't want abortion from the very second after there's conception. Abortion is wrong. I think that that's problematic. That's an example where Christians are making claims making belief claims. The rest of us have to accept their beliefs about insolment. And I, again, I understand completely. If you're a Christian, I understand why you would think that's a problem. <laughs> but you have to, in my judgment, you know, if you're, if you're opposed, if you have a problem with abortion from the moment of conception, I don't even understand what the basis of that could be where there isn't some sort of spiritual or religious notion about insolment. I clerk for Sandra O'Connor and I I clerked for her this, the second year she was on the court and the first time she dealt with the abortion question. That was back in 1982. And that was the year that um, the undue burden test was was born, as it were, when she did the um, her writing in the Akron decision. And that became the law of the land in Casey. I've thought a lot about the abortion issue over the years, but it's it's clear to me that's that's an example. That's a, the abortion is a perfect example with a really sort of vehement objection to abortion, where you see Christians asserting belief claims. And those of us who are in favor of a liberal pluralistic society say, no, you can't impose that on people. Um, indeed, my own view is, is that, you know, a woman should be able to terminate a pregnancy until the very last moment because it's her body and she ought to be able to make that decision. And no woman is going to make a decision to terminate a pregnancy that far along unless there's something bizarre that happens, but that it's not the government's business. But to say that, well, you should outlaw it from the very moment of conception, that's that's an example of people trying to assert a, a Christian belief claim, in my judgment. We need to sort of figure out what the hell sort of society do we want? And I think most of us, not all of us, by all, by any means, but most of us are in favor of sort of a, a liberal, pluralistic society. We want to live our lives and we don't want people telling us how to live our lives. And we want to be able to do what we want to do as long as we're not harming people. Um, I think that's a really great idea. And I think it's a society we ought to have. But we can't have it if we've got people making asserting belief claims that we have to accept. Yeah, I've noticed the the threat to liberal pluralistic society is fear that most of the arguments or really all of the arguments that are being made uh let's say among the gender critical side is they're they're making claims that their safety is in danger which of course is what the trans activists are doing also it's like all these claims about safety oh i'm not safe this makes me unsafe if a man wears a dress in a public place i'm not safe because 
I'm roped into his fetish against my will. And yeah, that seems because you, because you can't object without taking a risk because you are compelled to silence. Yeah, you, you have to accept it. That's the that's the safety risk is that you must tolerate it. Well, and if you if you try to show that you're not tolerant, then you may be attacked. Well, you, you all have been doing this a whole lot longer than I have. So, you know, a lot more than I know about it. But it would seem to me, my perception is it goes further than that. It's not just that they can't object to it. It's that that the the fact of it um, is offensive and and threaten safety. And and I think in certain ways that that's sort of not all that unlike the, the students at Oxford or any place else who are saying, I feel unsafe because Kathleen Stock is in, you know, is breathing the same air I'm breathing, you know, three blocks away over <laughs> over at the union. I mean, I think we've got to get away from this idea that disagreement is is a source of harm, that we all have to sort of run for safety whenever we're disagreed with. I, I think that's nonsense. I think that's that's danger. I think that's really dangerous. And what's really interesting is a lot of the people who are opposed to the trans ideology think in the same way as some of the trans people do, that everything is a matter of fear and, and distress and offense and this and that. I think that's a bad, I think that's for all sorts of reasons and strategic and moral, I think it's just, a, it's a really bad idea. I mean, I mean, look, there are really important ideas here. For example, the idea that anybody even takes seriously the idea that a male who identifies as a woman does not want to be in a toilet with other men feels unsafe. Women don't want to be in the toilet with men, however they identify. So you've got two sets of people. You've got women and you've got trans people asserting the same interest in safety and the women lose. <laughs> and it's like, well, wait a minute now, <laughs> wait, wait just a minute. That's just not right. Why should the women's interest in safety be ignored so that the trans women can have, you know, I mean, I, I, I mean, I find that really bizarre. And I've had a number of discussions with people on, on Twitter, yeah. a number of trans people who have said, well, you know, there's no reason why anybody should be fearful of trans women in the toilet. And the answer is, well, once you once you've got self ID, you basically said anybody can go into the toilet. And so you're basically saying men can go into private and intimate spaces. And that's what you're saying. And so how can you possibly say that that doesn't, you know, whenever you add men, to a situation where there are women, you've increased danger to women by definition. But I think there are really important issues that need to be sort of teased out here. And what I'm trying to do with people is to try, I'm trying to talk to sort of progressives and say, look, and it's it's not easy. Maya Forstetter really sort of nailed it in a tweet she did a couple of days ago when she said, and I think she's dead right on this, that a lot of progressives think this is the new gay and they don't want to be on the wrong side of it. And because a lot of progressives were sort of slow to the, the party on civil unions and that sort of stuff. So they, they don't want to they don't want to miss this train. And so they want to be sort of on board. But this ain't the new gay. That's the problem. I mean, you know, this this is not the new gay. I mean, as a matter of fact, you know, it's homo it's, it's really somewhat homophobic. But I, I can tell you this. We're never going to get progressives on board if the movement is basically saying that even if we don't have to accept belief claims, 
that we also don't have to accept equality claims. And it's perfectly fine to say, no, you don't get the job because you're wearing a dress. Or no, I don't want you living next to me. You shouldn't have housing rights because you're, you wear a dress or you wear, you know, whatever, you wear makeup and you're a male or whatever. That's going to be the kiss of death to getting progressives on board with this. I think it's going to be the kiss of death getting a lot of people on board with this. And well, I'm, I'm not a progressive, but I have some ideas about progressives. I, I, I'm curious to, to hear your feedback on them. One of them is that progressives are consciously good people. They have an idea of what good is and that they try to order their conduct accordingly yeah. to, be, to be good people. Right. And I find this, as, as somebody who does not want to be a good person myself, I find this very frustrating with progressives because a second quality that seems very common in progressives is that they have no concept of what an unintended consequence is. So in their pursuit for the good, they're willing to really cause a lot of damage at scale. And it's it's sort of maddening to me when people are so convinced about their own ability to influence the world for it, for it to become a better place, that they stop listening to anybody telling them, don't do that because it's not actually good. In my model of the progressive mind, it's like telling somebody that they ought to be doing something evil. If you try to convince them that the good thing that they're trying to accomplish is going to result in, in the opposite of what they're trying to accomplish. Well, that's sort of the tension, right, between having a non-consequentialist sort of deontological moral position, a rights position, as opposed to a utilitarian position, right? I mean, is, that's really sort of the tension that one can take the position, I think we ought to do this because it's the right thing to do. And I don't really give a damn what the consequences are. And then the people who say the, only the consequences matter. I don't think you can get through life being only one or the other. I think life, I mean, I think when it comes to fundamental mm -hmm. rights, I, I, I believe very much, I mean, when it comes to fundamental rights, I am a rights deontological person. I don't think that they should be, I don't think, I don't think consequences, I, I don't think you can use consequences to override fundamental rights. But on the other hand, you can't ignore consequences either. Because, you know, obviously consequences are important. If in fact, if some of these things were not likely to result in more violence against women, well, you'd have a different argument. You, you might still say, I think it's a bad idea to do this, mm -hmm. but you would have other things, you know, there'd be other things to think about, but I don't believe that you don't want to be a good person. I just don't believe that. I've only just met you, but I, I don't believe I know I, a, I, a lot of, a lot of people don't believe that. I don't. I don't believe it. I don't believe it's it. It's because you're a progressive. I, you, you have I, this, you have I, this I model that everybody is. Imagine, I can't imagine somebody who, good. I can't imagine somebody who doesn't want to be a good person. Um, he does it effortlessly. The whole point is that Corey is good, but he doesn't try I'm, to I'm be good. good. He just is. It's effortless. And he waves that in everybody's that's, face. That's not, that's not the case. <laughs> that's not no, the case. No, he, he was actually taking sort of a more, a more position that he sort of affirmatively does not wish to be a, a force of good in the world. Um, and I don't believe it. Yeah, but, but that's right. That's right. Yeah. You know, and yeah, that's and a, that's I a lie actually, because you've, you've very clearly, you keep taking these long car trips to testify 
in various I, I do, but I know there's trade-offs. I, I know that as a result of my actions that some people will not only feel harmed, but they will actually be harmed. And I believe that's necessary because- Who's being because, harmed? Let me answer that, but let me get to the end of this. I, I think that it's something like a trolley problem and that I am making the decision to throw the switch. And I, I know that people are likely to be harmed. So, so you said, who's likely to be harmed? Well, let's agree for a moment that in every case that transmedicalization is harmful to the patient. Let's just not even argue about that for a second. Nevertheless, there are families who feel as though that is what is keeping their children alive and that as a result of some of the legislation that I support, that they will be forced to move their families to another state in order to keep their child alive. Now, that itself is a harm. That is not harm. So I have gone through processes where I've had mm. to do or chosen to do an inventory. Who have I harmed? I've made a list of all the persons I have harmed and yeah. had to really think about what harm was. And it turns out my I ideas of what harm were were wrong. And I think you have a wrong idea about harm. Doing something that people don't like, doing something that people react to is not the same as harming them. And that somebody perceiving harm, somebody perceiving, it's not the same as actual harm. Like feelings hmm. aren't facts. Yeah, take that libtards. It's complicated because if you're taking the position that what is incorrectly called gender affirming care, if you say, well, I oppose that, and that is my opposition may result in some people being harmed because they really believe that gender affirming care is, is very important, but you're not intending to harm them. Um, what you're intending right. to do is, is educate people about the fact that, for example, a lot of young kids who are experiencing this are most likely gay and, uh -huh. and, um, and indeed they're being harmed because they're not. And I, I mean, I think this is probably empirically true in many of these cases that not being allowed to express themselves as gay is very harmful. I can't frankly imagine a greater harm to a child then telling the child that the child is in or encouraging the child to believe that the child is in a wrong body. I mean, that's mm -hmm. a scary. I, I, I think that is an absolutely frightening thing, particularly since, you know, look, we've all been through puberty. It's a rough time under the best of circumstances, but a lot of people will have feelings which may be fleeting, which may, may persist, you know, in terms of feelings, sexual feelings towards members of the same sex. And so when you get people saying, as I've heard people say, well, I'd rather have my kid be trans than gay. I mean, there's something that needs to be unpacked there because that's a, a very troubling thing to, 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 you know, I mean, we at least need to talk about it. And so in a sense, what you're doing is you're trying to stop harm, but your attempts to try to stop harm, you're right, it's sort of somewhat like a trolley situation. It's not the same thing, but it's somewhat like a trolley situation. You're trying to stop harm, but there may be 
negative consequences to what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But but I do I do think though that that's the desire to want to do that. I I think is admirable indeed. I don't know how one lives the moral life without sort of thinking about yeah you know stuff that you do is I mean I'm sure that I make people unhappy <laughs> people unhappy all the time um, you know in terms of the things that I say uh, um, but I'm not trying to I'm not intending to harm them I'm intending to try to educate people and get people to think a little critically about some of these very important issues I mean whatever one thinks about this trans business the issues are profound. They go to the essence. They really are essential issues in terms of like, who are we? What do we believe? And most importantly, what do we think about women? People need to see that this is a threat to, I, I, I wasn't around during during suffrage, but it's that sort of thing. I mean, it's like the only thing that sort of resonates is the idea of women as chattel or the idea that, you know, when a woman got married, all of her wealth became her husband's wealth and, the, you know, et cetera, all that sort of stuff. It's that sort of threat. <laughs> it's that sort of fundamental threat. When you put it in those terms, it, it occurs to me that religious claims are actually have less potential harm, even though there have been many terrible things done in history in the name of religion. But yeah. religious claims have less harm because they can only, like the only arena for them is in the realm of metaphysics. But the trans claims... Are, are much more dangerous because they require that you actively refute reality. Well, I mean, to some degree, so do religious claims. I mean, religious claims ask you to to sort of to suspend at least some rational judgment. I mean, so so there's some some similarity. Sure, but you, but you might say the the world's five thousand or six thousand years old, and and that's a fairly harmless claim about reality i mean i mean but but to for somebody to say i am a different sex than what you're looking at is really requires uh a a lot of uh psychological twisting in order to comply with it what what i would say to you is this when it comes to religion the harm that happens from religion let's just take christianity for example i mean you're Mm -hmm. talking about a philosophy from a, a person who was essentially into nonviolence and into the idea of loving one's neighbor as oneself, which is particularly back when he was alive, uh, was a sort of a mind-blowing idea. And it's a mind-blowing idea now, but violence gets done in the name of religion. There's nothing that is necessary about religion that requires violence. As a matter of fact, it's bastardization of religious of most religious, uh, you know, m- much, much of the violence happens as a result of people, um, manipulating religious doctrine. The problem with the trans ideology, it is inherently problematic. It necessarily requires that you accept certain things, believe certain things, and speak as though certain things were true that are not, they're certainly not verifiable things, but they're things that have a profound effect on the equality of women and the welfare of children. It blows my mind to think that I don't know what the you know I'm a member of the New York Bar, but I, it's been a while since I I, I I think it's still the case in New York that you can't get a tattoo until you're 18, even with parental consent. The idea that you can't get a tattoo, <laughs> the, the idea that you can't get you can't you can't get a tattoo without even if your parents say go ahead get the tattoo, I don't care what the hell you do, you can't get a tattoo, but you can have 
puberty blockers or you can get some of this other stuff. That at least requires like some serious social discussion. And and the idea that we're not supposed to even discuss this stuff. I mean, that was the other thing I got I learned when I first got involved with this is I tried to e- e- engage people who were promoting trans ideology to say, look, this is stuff we need to talk about. You can't dismiss the concerns of women here because they've got legitimate concerns. And the answer is no, no, no. I mean, you know, I was getting routinely, I mean, there are people who blocked me. I never even engaged with, I mean, you know, India Willoughby, I, I've never even exchanged. I've never even had anything to do with her, uh, with him. And I was blocked, but I tried to engage an academic at Sheffield, Sally Hines. I tried to engage her. I actually said, why don't we have a universe? Why don't we have a debate? I'll, I'll help set it up. We'll, we'll talk about this. And I got blocked. And I thought, what the hell am I doing wrong here? You know, all I'm doing is saying, saying let's talk about these issues. And well, there's the answer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> and this is the thing is that I'm, I'm glad that there are others who are opposed to the illiberal approach, because I think that that's a disaster. And I think that, again, I understand it. I understand why people feel that way. But I just think that there's really no way you can neatly distinguish between somebody who's gender non-conforming and somebody who is engaging in in what is called woman face or whatever the hell you want to call it. Um, you can't really, there's no limiting principle there. So basically my view is, is if, if a man wishes to wear a dress to work, as long as it's an appropriate dress and it would be, it's appropriate into the workspace, whoever wears it, that's fine. Yeah. And I don't think you can come up with a limiting principle um, even if you wanted to, and I'm, I'm not sure you should want to, because as I said before, I, I don't understand why people are laying a proprietary claim to ways of presenting oneself physically that are the result of norms imposed by men who, who have, you know, who, who, I mean, patriarchal norms. I was thinking when I lived in the West Village, you know, we talk about people with fetishes and your when I lived in the West Village, particularly in the 80s. There was like a lot of S and M stuff. A lot of a lot of people were walking. A lot of men were walking around with like outfits and stuff like that. Now I would I don't think that they should be wearing those things in a workplace either. Because I mean, workplaces should be like less. Yeah, in, unless it's maybe a construction site or a yeah, whatever. But I mean, I, but the fire station or a, but the idea is I wouldn't want to live. Police in station. A, I, I don't want to live in a world. Well, if guys, if a, you know, Indian colony, you know, if a, if a person wants to dress like that, or a person was into that sort of thing, it's fine. You know, I mean, so I'm not into it. That's fine. You're into it. Great. I really wish people would sort of take a step back on this illiberal thing, because I think it's, um, it's morally not a good idea, but strategically it's a disaster because it's, it's going to feed right into the I don't consider myself an intolerant person. Yeah. And I don't want to consider myself an intolerant person. The problem is that the trans people are saying anybody who disagrees with them is transphobic. And, and I don't even know what, what it means. to. I mean, I, I, I saw this, 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 there was a debate going on, on on my threads today between a trans person and a person I don't know who he is, but he, he seems to have philosophical training. And they were going back and forth. And it was impossible to get the person arguing the transposition was just not stating what his position was. And and it was like, you know, it was just like all over the place. And if we're going to make any progress here, and he was being very clear, the person he was arguing with, the philosophy person, was not hostile and was not expressing hostility or anger or hatred or anything, but was just trying to sort of discuss stuff. And so if you've got a group of people who basically say anybody who wants to discuss stuff is bad, evil, and wrong, you're starting off sort of no matter how liberal you are you're you're starting off being 
accused of being bad, intolerant, liberal, Nazi, whatever they want to say. Um, You're part of our tribe now because this is... I can tell you're going through this process. Like you're like, I can't believe that this is the way the world is right now. <laughs> and, and we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're like, we're like your elders. Yeah. No, no. I, look, yeah, I, give, I, give it a few years. I, I, I try all to, of, all of your faith in humanity will be completely abolished. You think it might be low now. It will be totally gone and you will but, no longer wonder. You'll just accept. I, I will mm. tell you this. I never, ever thought, and if you said to me in 1980, one day you're going to spend time discussing whether or not a man, a male, biological male, yep. can be a woman. Um, I would have uh, thought that, um, you know, like Sid Barrett, you would use too much LSD and had fried yourself. Um, you know, that you would just, it was, it was, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't have made sense to me. Well, just imagine what the next thing is going to be. Because this is going to pass at some point, and then people are going to come up with something even more insane and weirder than that, that they're going to try to get us to believe. I think things are going in an unfortunate direction. That is, uh, I think the global warming issue is very, very serious. I think we are underestimating that terribly, and uh, as many of us are. And I think that the next 30 years are going to be very challenging. Now, part of what concerns me is with all of the important issues that we have to face in terms of basic survival, the idea that we're sort of sitting around talking about this is troubling. I agree with you, it will pass. But what troubles me is that what we've done is now we've created generations of young people who are incapable of thinking. We, we Our educational system has collapsed, collapsed. Um, yeah. And, yeah. Despite spending more and more and more money on it. I have thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I have thoughts on it too, but I think I think we need to wrap up. Okay. All right. Well, well so let, let me ask a question before that, then, Nina, because okay. I, I, I let me ask you something. Yeah. Like, Nina and I had a fight after you had agreed to come on Heterodorks, and it was sort of a it was sort of a a, a real fight. We she was she was really mean. <laughs> you said mean things to me, Nina. It's because I have Crohn's disease. I know. It makes me crabby. So I semi-seriously suggested that you might uh, have an interesting viewpoint to this question, which is that ought it be the case that particularly young people, minors, ought to have an evaluation of competency before they are allowed to become vegans. And the, the assumption here is that there are, are some young people who, uh, you know, they're still, their brains are still maturing and they get very passionately into sort of causes. Like everything feels extremely urgent. Everything feels like right now, 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 I yeah. got to do this to save animals, to save the planet. Uh, and that they might not be able to have the correct nutritional inputs as vegans if they are not in a state of competency. So I, I wanted to ask you, and that's more or less the question I asked, right, Nina? I don't even remember. More, a little bit more context there. But, Just know that Corinna's cranky about vegan stuff because Corinna's a keto 
person. That's, and that's not, that's not, that's, that's, of not, course. Quite, that's not quite accurate. That's and I was, accurate. I was a vegetarian until I got diagnosed with Crohn's disease uh, last month um, and have had vegan phases. So mm-hmm. I'm more on team vegan, except I'm completely fucked now because I have this insane disease that's turned my life upside down i, I did i did but, but I should, sent you, I maybe sent you, young people there's there's some literature out there that crohn's disease yeah i know i know i know i saw um um yeah. I, I no i'm investigating that. everything i just drank i just drank a bottle of soylent okay yeah okay and i'm gonna find out if that yeah. has horrible consequences um i mean my friend joel Furman has had tremendous success using vegan diets with helping people with, with crohn's disease but in any event um to answer your question corinna I became a vegan for moral reasons because I went into a slaughterhouse a long time ago and it changed my life in a matter of hours. I continued to drink milk for a while because I'm going to admit this. I didn't know until I was in my mid twenties that cows had to be cows like other mammals um, had to be pregnant to give milk. I thought they just did it. And I didn't, and I didn't, I mean, and actually dairy is got more violence and i mean dairy is horrible i mean what they do to the, the cows and and i always say this to my friends who are feminists you com- completely commodify the reproductive processes of these animals and one of the saddest things i've ever seen in my entire life is being on a dairy farm when the cow the, the calves are taken away from their moms it is absolutely heartbreaking mm. and i just you know I, just, I don't want to participate in that but i will tell you this next time around i'm going to be 70 and I got a tremendous amount of energy. Um, and it, it is, I believe it is very much because of the fact that I don't eat decomposing flesh, cow mucus and chicken ova. I think young people engage in a lot of diets which are harmful to them, not necessarily vegan ones. Obviously, if a, a kid starts eating nothing but lettuce, that's a really, that's a problem. But if a kid is just eating ice cream, that's a problem. If a kid is just eating steak, that's a problem. I think we all need to think more more carefully about our diets because the reality is that um, you know the most of what we eat, many of the diets that we we follow are harmful to us, or at least there's some evidence that they're harmful to us. I mean, I, I would say this: there's an increasing number of mainstream healthcare people who are saying that the fewer animal products you eat, the better for you. And as I said, at age seventy, I have got more energy than most of the kids that I teach who are young enough to be my grandchildren. I very rarely get ill, very, very rarely. And I come from a family that had a lot of, it's not that I've got great genes. I don't. My parents had heart problems, my brother, but but I was the only vegan. And so now at my age, I feel tremendous uh, and I sleep three or four hours a night. Uh, And I've always said to vegans, people don't like anybody who proselytizes. I mean, I, I... I feel very passionately about this. I really do. I feel very passionately about it. And I'll talk about it with anybody who wants to talk about it with me. But I ain't going to talk about it with you. You know, I'm not going to, I don't, I think it's a bad idea to sort of go into a restaurant and start calling everybody names and while they're eating their dinner. I mean, I, I just think that that's a non-productive way of going about life. Um, that many of the problems of the world, because we accept violence as, as sort of a way, of, a way of life. And it starts with what we eat. We're killing 80 billion, 90 billion animals a year, every year, land animals for for food. And how many sea animals? Maybe a trillion, maybe two trillion. I mean, nobody knows the number, but the lowest number I've ever seen is a trillion, and that's a million, million. So you're talking about a massive amount of nonviolence. And I do not believe that we can engage in that level of violence and not have it affect us in a, quote, spirit, low case S 
spiritual way. Let's talk about minors for a second, though, because I'm, I'm not going to dispute anything about a healthy vegan diet. I, I think that that's plausible. And, and I, th I think that people who do it for moral reasons have good reasons. People who do it for health reasons have good reasons. But for young people who approach their food intake, not on the basis of nutrition, but on, based on a moral code, do you think that they ought to have some supervision or some uh, evidence of, of competency of, of uh, being able to even live in a healthy way. Well, Wait, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you, Corinna. You're yeah. assuming you're assuming that there's some other diet that they're being raised with because everybody yeah. is raised with some diet. There's some default diet and you're just assuming that the default is is meat. No. And it doesn't it's like there could be it doesn't have to be. So it's sort of, you know, like what if, what if these parents are raise raise their kid vegan? What if us assume the parents yeah. are smart about nutrition? Uh and no, also I'm, I'm, no, okay, that's fair. There are parents like that, but I'm talking about Americans. Well, but but you're assuming you're assuming that, that. there are American parents like that. You're assuming that that the, whatever diet they're following is a better diet for them than what I mean, look, young people eat No, 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 no. No, I'm I'm because I, I have known people grow th through different phases of my life who like woke up and were like, oh my gosh, I, I am inflicting death on animals. I'm doing harm to the planet. I've, I've really got to be in, in spirit or, or more in line with the, the forces of nature, however they rationalize it. And then they eat fried potatoes until they get malnourishment diseases and End oh yeah, yeah look, I, I, I'm look. People, people need people need education about nutrition as a general matter, not just vegan people, but every, mm -hmm. everybody. I mean, you know, a lot of people eat crap. You know, it's, it's not people other than vegans and young kids other than yeah, yeah. vegans are eating a lot of crap. I mean, people need to be need to have. Yeah, but but there's there's a certain amount of scrupulosity, like religious scrupulosity, that's that's driving their. No, uh, it's, 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 to, it's uh, a more, it's a, a more, it's, it's a, it's more, and it's entirely rational. I mean, you know, maybe we can do another edition of the show and we can talk about the logic of veganism because I can explain this to you quite, ra this, it's got nothing to do with spiritual views. It's gotten, it's very, it's very clearly rational in treating similar cases in a similar way and blah, 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 blah. I mean, I can explain this to you in a very sort of rational way. As a matter of fact, my most recent book, Why Veganism Matters, The Moral Value of Animals, you know, you really ought to read it. It's an excellent book. Um, and it explains this. Um, does it have pictures? No, it does not have pictures. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't have pictures, but it's thank the, God. It's, the idea of it, the idea of it, is to sort of explain this idea in a very rational way, because I think it can be explained in a very rational way. I wanted to say before we left, I wanted to say okay. that when I first got involved with this, a friend of mine, guy I've known for years, he's a vegan too. Um, he called me up. I've known this guy for I don't know, maybe 30, 40, a long time. He called me up and he said, "I need." I've been reading about this, your, your views on the trans issue. And he said, I need to talk to you. I want to talk to you. So we, we met, um, uh, at Starbucks in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania, actually. And we had coffee and, um, and he brought with him Nina's set of cards. <laughs> and I did not know, I mean, I've known this guy for years. I've known this guy for years and he is apparently somebody who has been concerned about this issue for a long time, but 
for whatever reasons, doesn't choose to be public about it. Because I've known him a long time, and he's never never said anything to me about it. And so uh, he had Nina's cards. I thought I was going to get thrown out of Starbucks because I was laughing so hard. that I just thought they were so endlessly amusing that I got home and bought two decks immediately. They're terrific. I actually took a, a photo of a Graham Linehan's card and I sent it to him and I said, look at this. And he, 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 uh, he thought it was what? music what 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 can one say about those cards but um but i just wanted to thank you for them because i think i think they're interesting in a lot of ways and they're provocative i guess good art is always provocative and they're you know they're little details in the pictures which are provocative i just wanted to thank you for doing those because i wow well thank you for appreciating them i was gonna make another set but i've gotten completely derailed my life has pivoted enormously you do you do art though. I mean, you do art. Are you are you not an artist as a profession? I mean, are you not a? I am an artist, but I've been. I my life has pivoted enormously. I'm in a very strange space right now. It, I'm in a transition. I'm transitioning. No. <laughs> I'm transitioning to a Crohn's oh. patient. It started with the Tumblr. Well, the the, rea- the reality is, though, if you're alive in 2024 and you're not in a strange place, you're not paying attention. It's extra strange that, like, really everything has been. De- so you were you were sitting there gloating. It's like, ah, oh, I'm 70. I'm so healthy, and I'm like, yeah, I'm 55, and I'm fucked. <laughs> I didn't think it was going to happen this soon. I hope, as I say, I don't. I'm not a physician, but I do know people who have had Crohn's who have really been. I mean, whose life's whose life has been helped by through through diet and and whatnot. Yeah, no, it's just funny for me because my diet was fantastic. I had like such a great healthy vegetarian diet, and now I can't eat fiber. <laughs> I can't eat fiber. That's the thing. It's like you fi- find out your triggers, and it's like, oh shit, this. Because I went off dairy, I was like, oh, I bet it's dairy. I bet it's gluten. It's like, nah, those are fine. Fiber. It's like, yeah, those delicious, healthy. You know, my delicious vegan lentil soup that I made quarts and quarts of before my diagnosis. Like that stuff makes me sick now. You can't. You can't eat lentil soup. No. No, it's full of. I mean, it's so delicious. I I am such a good cook. <laughs> Yeah. It's so good. I'm sure you are. Now I'm, 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 I'm eating juice though. I, I have a juicer. So the juice, so it's like a, a totally strange new thing, but at least I can eat fresh stuff now, but it takes the fiber out, but it's not what I expected. I just like, this is, and everybody, every patient has different triggers. Although fiber is common for a lot of us, but yeah. So I'm, I'm getting my veggies. I'm having juice. I'm having, but it's, it sucks. You'll probably live to like you know be a, a, an extremely old age if, with if you're juicing a lot. Yeah. You know you'll probably live very long. You just won't be eating lentil soup. D- don't right. wish that on her. <laughs> no, but I'm- gosh, I thought progressives were good. What, one question: how did, how, did, how did the two? I just want to know before: how did the two of you meet? Because you're in one place and she's in another, so it's not that you're neighbors or anything. I mean, oh, should I, I tell them the say? origin story about the state fair, or a different origin story? People are always asking the origin story. We have to keep making up new ones. The alpaca story? Was it was it alpacas? No, it was it was the tranny tent. There was the tranny oh, right. exhibit. Well, yeah, and and oh right, because it was the next year that it was the uh, 
right. dressed yeah, dress I found a, as an I, alpaca. I found a tranny, a tranny stud at the state fair, and I, yeah. I paid the tranny breeder. And the, was I found a stud and a, a tranny stud and a tranny mare. This, and this they is produced new, new lore. <laughs> new lore. You're 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 witness to it. Wow. Uh, there was a feminist wow. talk in Washington D.C. in 2019 with Megan Murphy and a couple of other speakers in attendance. And I went because I wanted to listen to Megan Murphy talk. I think this was following her. Uh, cancellation at the Vancouver Public Library and I wanted to go and show up because I think it's bullshit that libraries uh sure kneel to these <laughs> no libraries exactly. Yeah. Exactly. if libraries cannot stand up for free speech you cannot depend on any other public institution to do so so I wanted to go and support this and uh we I met Nina through a, a mutual friend uh, Lisa Marciano and I did not know it, but Nina only makes friends with people who give her almonds. And I happened to just luckily carry some with me. And I fed her a couple of almonds and she become she became bound to me. She followed you. Yeah. The magic yeah. almonds. Yeah. They they were I didn't realize it. They I thought they said Aldi, but I guess that's German for magic. And uh, it really is they've got good chocolate. And uh after that, then uh, I had a Nina Paley. Yeah, I'm his pet turf. He's my pet tranny. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. I mean, it's a... Gary, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it was a lovely conversation. Thank you. Yes, thank you. I hope we yeah, meet thanks, again. Thanks. Very few people are going to be talking to us, so we'll get, we're going to have to sort of get together yes, again. Yes, we have to be friends with uh, each other. <laughs> we'll, we'll have Ethiopian food here yeah. in Indianapolis at some point. <laughs> I miss Ethiopian food so much. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. It's great stuff. Um, anyway, you be well, both of you. And um, I hope uh, hope you feel better. Thank and, you. Um, it's been really great meeting you, meeting you both. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Likewise. And Thanks. Oh, and, and take care. So wait, is there a, is there a website before we sign up for real? Is there a website or something where people can learn more about you? Yeah. Abolitionistapproach.com hmm. um, is my, my animal rights website, but that was the site I posted my trans essay on and, um, and things, things exploded. And I have another site called how do I go vegan.com. Okay. And it's a site that basically gives people nutritional information. It's the great source. If you've got a teenager and your teenager wants to go vegan, have them go to howdoigovegan.com and it explains what you should eat, how to get proper nutrition. And uh, it also talks about leather and, and wool and, you know, sort of not, you know, because veganism is not just a diet. It's basically the question of what you eat, what you wear, what you use on your body and things like that. You had and me at so, leather. Um, <laughs> Fortunately, we live in a we live in a liberal pluralistic society, and we had a liberal pluralistic podcast, and I like it that way. Yeah. No, that's look. Can't force people to do anything. It's one thing that's absolutely clear. Never works never works. Well, we are going to force our listeners to stop listening to this podcast because we're going to end it. Turfs and Trannies, thank you for listening. Gary Francione, thank you so much for joining us. Bye-bye. Thank you for having me. Bye. Thank you for listening, Turfs and Trannies. 
Hey, we want to let you know that Nina and I are the featured guest speakers at Megan Dom's Unspeakeasy Retreat in Louisville, Kentucky on April 9th and 10th. The Unspeakeasy is a community for heterodox-minded women that offers a private membership community online, as well as in-person sanity spa retreats all over the country. Retreats consist of two days of conversation facilitated by Megan. She's an author and the host of the Unspeakable podcast and the co-host of A Special Place in Hell. Discussion topics are curated according to participants' interest and range from censorship in the arts and media to public health policy to education to our favorite topic, gender. Retreats are small, usually no more than 12 participants and totally off the record. You have to apply to the retreat, which essentially means explaining why you're interested, there is no test, and heterodorks listeners are eligible for a discount once they sign up. Again, this is in Louisville, Kentucky, April 9th and 10th. For more information, go to theunspeakeasy.com.